Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I am an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, lover, and master coach. And I spend every minute of the day helping people kick, (laughs) kick, (laughs) live, kick ass lives. How are you doing today, folks? Hope you're doing well. I'm really excited. I am just about to see my son for the first time in two years. I'm super, super stoked. He's going to be arriving in Los Angeles tomorrow and we're going to be spending a week here before I go off to Vegas and I'm going to be working on a poker documentary uh, for a week and he's going to be joining me for half of that trip, which is Super exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. It's been a very, very long time. And, you know, as a result of him coming over, I was doing my morning pages this morning and feeling a little anxiety. And um, I was asking myself, what, what is all this about? I mean, for those of you that don't do the morning pages, please check out a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And, you know, what is life really if you want to keep evolving and growing other than replacing bad habits with good habits. And when you run out of bad habits, just really refining, test, testing, twe- tweaking and polishing your good habits, finding ones that really help and putting them into play. And I'm really enjoying the morning pages, right? Nice three pages of uh, stream of consciousness writing every morning. And I like to ask myself what parts of me are thinking and what parts of me are feeling and tap into them. And and this morning was no different, feeling anxious, feeling anxious about Jude coming over, feeling anxious that um, he'll be allowed into the country, that his uh, journey will go well, that he will enjoy it. And there's a part of that whole thing that when I reflect upon it, is a, there's, a, there's a form of victim consciousness there. So I can feel myself slipping into the drama triangle, taking on the role of hero, making my son Jude a victim, trying to do everything for him. Book his flights, make sure he book his seats, get his Esther, organize his COVID test, and on and on and on. And that's victim consciousness, folks. Why? There's a part of me, when I delve into it, that still really wants him to look at me and view me is a really good dad. And I don't feel the same way in my relationship with Liza. And that's, of course, because I live with her. And I don't have the trauma of divorce and the shame and the guilt that comes with that. Uh, So whenever I feel a little bit of anxiety, my question is, what do I need to do next? And what I need to do next is just check in with him, make sure he's got everything that he needs and he's ready, and then turn up and pick him up. There's also anxiety in going to Vegas. The documentary filmmaking is still very new to me. The place that I'm staying at, the people I'm with, the fact that Jude's with me, it's all a little bit unknown. And because of the unknown, it leads into a little bit of anxiety. And there's a theme here for me, and it's control. You know, I I can't control what's going to happen when I'm in Vegas because I don't know what's going to happen. I can't control what's going to happen with Jude coming over here and whether he'll be letting the country or not. And very definitely for me, and it will be different for all of you, there is an element of control linked to my childhood where I felt out of control or I, more, more accurately, didn't feel approved of. I'm 
didn't feel secure. So I tried to control everything to make sure that I was approved of, to make sure that I did feel secure. And within that milestone of desperation and need to control everything comes alcohol, right? So I can't control everything, so I'll drink. Or part of the control is to be approved of, I will drink in order for me to be approved of. Uh, so drinking becomes a form of control. And I don't drink. So now it's kind of like, oh, I'm feeling anxious uh, with the Vegas trip because I'm not in control. So again, it's like, okay, so what is the thing that I can do now? And that thing is research. Just research, 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 and get yourself prepared. And then just be willing to just let go of what you can't control. I just wanted to share that with you today. And it's related to what we're going to talk about today in terms of resistance. Because there is a, a resistance against going to Las Vegas. There is a resistance about doing the poker documentary work. There's a resistance about talking to strangers and uh, trying to um, get a story out of them. There is a, I can feel it, right? So understanding what that resistance is and how to combat it is massive, particularly if you want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol, because resistance is what is uh, going to show up each time when you try to stop. So that's what you're going to be uh, listening to today. So once a month, the third Friday of every month here at Strive, our little community, um, I teach live a concept from the Strive Method. Um, Our Strive Method is our six-month online workshop with over 120 coaching videos. And resistance is something that we cover in the thought phase, which is our second month um, in week four. So we spend all week managing and dealing with and overcoming resistance. And I spent uh, an hour um, talking to members of Strive about resistance and teaching them resistance. And if you would like to see the PowerPoint uh, presentation of this because you're only going to be listening to it, you're not going to be watching it, then just email me at 1kdaysober.gmod.com and I'll provide that for you. But have a good listen to it and uh, you will get a lot out of it. Uh, resistance is vital if you're going to be someone who doesn't drink alcohol and live a kick-ass life. And if you've got any questions whatsoever, then uh, let me know. All right. So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you the capable hands of myself teaching the Strive Method all about resistance. Much love, everyone. All right. So resistance. So we cover resistance in week four of the thought phase. Okay. So for those of you that have got there, you'll know it. You would have gone through it. And for those of you that haven't um, got there yet, that's when you'll hit it. Right. It's in the last week of the thought phase. And we spend all week on it. And the reason we spend all week on it is um, it's really important. Like resistance is super important. And we will get to talk about that um, a lot today. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to mention it. Um, It's really important. That's why we spent a whole week on it. So we're going to touch upon it today. And uh, the other reason that I wanted to talk about resistance is my concept of resistance has changed slightly since I recorded it. So the way that I taught Stella about resistance, I changed my view on it slightly. And we'll talk about that today. And then I will put this video in that week so people can look at it and and understand and fill in the bits and pieces. So what is resistance? Well, I learned of the term resistance first and foremost from um, two gentlemen who both spoke about resistance in different ways, in different businesses, but the concept 
spoke to me when it came to my struggles about being someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And the first person that I heard ever talk about uh, resistance was Stephen Pressfield. And for those of you who don't know, Stephen Pressfield is a primarily he started out in life as a screenwriter. And if you read anything about Stephen Pressfield or follow Stephen Pressfield, he went like 20 years screenwriting and never making any money. Like he, he was like, he was your archetypal failed artist. And then I think his big success came when he wrote the screenplay for the legend of bag of Vance. So the, the movie with Will Smith in it. So Stephen Pressfield writes a lot of fiction. His first nonfiction book was The War of Art, How to Break Through the Blocks and Win Your Inner Creative Battles. Turned out to be a trilogy, actually. So The War of Art, Turning Pro and Doing the Work were the three books. And if you haven't read them, I don't highly encourage you to read them. Go read them. Like they're all three of them are excellent books and they will help you in so many different areas of your life. Okay. So here are a couple of quotes that um, I like when Pressfield talks about resistance. He says, the more important a call to action is to our soul's evolution, the more resistance we feel about answering it. So think about how important it is to our soul that we don't drink alcohol, right? Like our soul, our true self, it doesn't want to be drinking alcohol. It doesn't want to be taking drugs. It doesn't want to be using any compensative strategy. It just wants to live, right? So because of that, the more resistance we will feel about answering that call. That's why we find so much resistance around our addictions because they are our compensatory strategies that are helping keep us safe. But to yield to resistance deforms our spirit. It stunts us and makes us less than we are and we were born to be. Another good quote of Pressfield's, we fear discovering that we are more than we think we are, more than our parents, children, teachers think we are. We fear that we actually possess the talent that our still small voice tells us, that we actually have the guts, the perseverance, and the capacity. We fear that we truly can steer our ship, plant our flag, and reach our promised land. We fear this because if it's true, then we become estranged from all we know. We pass through a membrane, we become monsters and monstrous. You know, when I read that, it reminds me of a, a number of different things that we talk about in the Strive Method, one in particular, the path of least resistance. We're all on a path of least resistance, everybody in the world, and we sometimes end up on a familiar one, right? So a familiar one for us is that path where drinking alcohol is our compensatory strategy. It's our guide. It helps us, helps keeps us safe. And then we slip into like upper limits, right? It's like, okay, to get onto the other path, I have to believe that I can do it. And, and what if I can't? And it's that what if I can't, there's the resistance that keeps you on your path, right? So he's saying here, hey, we, we fear that we can actually do this because if we can do it, we become estranged from all we know. That's really important. Because for me, at my absolute worst as a drinker, with my relationship with Debbie in tatters, with my connection to my son not really there in the full capacity I could do, in a job that I hated, hanging around friends that I didn't really feel connected to, it was no way 
near as painful as the thought of losing them all and losing that life. Does that make sense? Like to not have a Debbie, to not have a Jude, to not have friends, to not have my job. Like for many years, I was not willing to go there. Resistance wouldn't let me go there. Resistance was saying, Lee, you cannot go there. And if you stop drinking, that's where you're going to end up. You will lose everybody and everything. We don't have a mental map for that. Please don't do it. Keep drinking because even though this is painful, you can handle it because you've handled it for the last 10 years. And that is resistance at work keeping us stuck. And as a writer, Pressfield coined the phrase resistance to talk about the force within him that did everything in its power to stop him, stop him from writing. Because writing was his muse. Writing allowed him to access his muse, his true self, his true source of power. Resistance didn't want him doing that because when he wrote, when he got into the flow, when he got into the zone, anything was possible. And then if you think of resistance as a part of Pressfield's fractured ego, all of a sudden, if Pressfield doesn't need that part, that part doesn't function, it doesn't have a role in its life, it disappears, it vanishes, it becomes nothing, nobody, and that part will fight. These parts will kill us to keep their identity in shape. Does everyone kind of wrap their head around that, yeah? The segue here that I want to talk about as well when it comes to the strike method is there's a link here with resistance and positive disintegration and upper limit problems. And we touch upon positive disintegration and upper limits in the stuck phase. Okay. Krasimir Dabrowski on the left, as you're looking at it, the gray photo, he was the um, Polish psychotherapist who created the work around positive disintegration. And then on the right, you've got the, the lovely smile of Gay Hendricks, who I interviewed on the podcast. So if you haven't listened to the Gay Hendricks podcast, go listen to it because it was a really good one. Dabrowski's theory on personal development was there were five stages of it. And we're not going to go into positive disintegration too deep here. We'll do that in another, in another Strive Live. But in a sense, he said there are five different levels of personal development. And unlike Eric Erickson, so Eric Erickson is somebody else we, we touch upon in the initiative phase. So Eric Erickson on psychosocial integration, he says we go through different stages in life, but it's chronological. So between the ages of zero to four, we go through this phase. From five to 12, we go through this phase and on and on through eight different phases that are aligned with age. Dabrowski's personal development is not chronological. It's not age-related. So Dabrowski says, at any point in time, you can wake up and move through the levels. Okay? And it's really important to recognize the difference here because we're not kids anymore. <laughs> right? It's not like we're like, fuck, okay, um, where am I now on this map because I'm 50 or 46 or 62 or whatever. The way Dabrowski works and what speaks to me is at any time in life, we can make the decision to stop being a caterpillar, to climb into the chrysalis, to dissolve and emerge as a butterfly at any time. Okay. Now, the key thing, though, as well as not being age-related, is between each level, Dabrowski says 
there is extreme tension and anxiety. Okay. And I like to think about video games. For those of you who've never played video games, I do apologize. But back in the day, I used to go to school and I would stop off at Stellini's Cafe and I would put my dinner money <laughs> into this video game called Wonder Boy. And you had to get through a level. And at the end of each level, there was an end boss. There was a big monster you had to beat to get to the next level. And your life became, how do I beat this end boss? Every day you would turn up in Stellini's Cafe trying to beat this boss. You'd say to your mates, how do I beat? I cannot beat this boss. And between you, you and your mates would figure out how to beat the boss. That's that tension. That's the anxiety to move on to the next level. And we feel it in life. These, this tension is almost your upper limit. I am just about to break through this limit, but this end boss doesn't want me to break through it. And it's really difficult to beat. How do I beat it? That end boss each and every time is resistance in different shapes and forms. So if you look here, level one, primary integration, and then level two, unilevel disintegration, to get from primary to unilevel, you need to feel the tension and the anxiety that comes with hitting your upper limit, and then somehow find a way of getting through resistance to get to the next level, okay? So just imagine each step of your life as going through different upper limits. And if you haven't seen the presentation I did on upper limits, then that is in the Stride membership area. It was just me and Juliet, actually, who, who was, who was uh, available for that one. So each step, we need to get through that resistance. The second person that I heard talking about resistance was David Burns. And again, I've interviewed him a couple of times on my podcast. Uh, go check it out. His latest book is called Feeling Great. Massive book. He's a cognitive behavioral therapist expert. And um, it's a really good book. And we will include his, he has like 50 odd ways to untwist your thinking. We'll include that in, in, our, in the Strive subscription at some point. And Burns believed that to help patients at a therapeutic level using CBT, you first have to dissolve any present resistance, all right? Otherwise, you'll just keep hitting an upper limit and the person you're working with will just keep going into defensive mode, justification and blind. I'll give you a real life example. Before I came on this call, I had a client, a one-to-one -one client, and he's recently been reading Alan Carr's Easy Way to Control Alcohol. And I said, how's it been going? And he said, you know what I really liked the most was the brainwashing part of it. And I said, cool, let me tell you about how I took that brainwashing part of it and created my philosophy of alcoholism being an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system. Because this client, he's not really into watching videos, right? So I said, I'll teach you about it. So I started talking to him about Melanie Joy and her work around carnism. And if any of you have not got to that stage yet, very quickly, Melanie Joy is a vegan advocate who got very interested in why we eat meat. Like, why do humans eat meat? And she believed that the reason we eat meat is because we get indoctrinated into a violent, invisible, dominant belief system from birth. And it had no name. That's why it's invisible. So she named it carnism. So by naming it, 
she could start to teach it and to pass that information on to other people so they can make a conscious choice around whether to eat meat or not. Okay. As I'm explaining this to my client, in order to set the context for the invisible, violent, and dominant belief system, what do you think happened? Unmute yourself. What do you think happened? Go, Stel. If he's a, is he a meat eater? <laughs> he's a meat eater. Yeah. So what do you think happened is, when I started talking about Melanie Joy? <clears throat> I actually don't think he got it. Say I don't that think again. I, I don't think it landed with him very... Like he was, he weren't expecting that. I don't think. I think when you're trying to explain it, I understand. I eat meat. I understand where you're coming from completely. But for somebody new, isn't that a bit of a shock that it just comes from like the supermarket? They haven't got the thought process around that killing thing that you're meaning, and that we we we've just been born into it. Right, eating meat. Now, so he didn't. He, I don't feel. Did he get it? He, okay, so. He didn't, he didn't get it. And this is, this is what happened. Mm. He started to tell me how he eats meat consciously and that he is anti okay. the vegan movement. All right. Oh. And uh -huh. that he, that, that he knows everything that goes on, but he's like, uh, but he eats meat consciously. Now, this isn't about oh. whether or not this isn't about me changing his mind to be a vegan. What is really important here for us all to wrap our head around is he has a paradigm around eating food. And that paradigm goes into whether or not eating meat is acceptable or not. And wrapped around that paradigm is the morality and the ethics of eating animals. And that paradigm allows him to eat animals without feeling any distress. Everybody with me? Yeah. All right. We do exactly the same thing to allow us to drink alcohol. Our parts, our fractured ego, needs to do everything it can in its power to protect that paradigm. Does that make sense? It cannot allow anybody to change that paradigm because if it changes that paradigm, it challenges our morality and our ethics. And no human being on this planet wants their morality or their ethics challenged. Now, if we say that we never had a choice or made a choice to drink alcohol when we were younger because it was made for us by alcoholism as an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system, and suddenly someone comes along and our fractured ego allows a self-to-self -self communication, allows myself to speak to their self, all of a sudden, with new information, they now have to make a choice about whether they drink alcohol or not, armed with this new information. And... <laughs> If they choose to drink, very often that decision makes that person feel weak, not strong, right? Because the stronger thing to do is to say, hang on, let's check in with my morality and my ethics here and make a different decision, right? The whole makeup of a human being does not want 
our does not want us to be having debates in our mind over whether we're going to eat meat, over whether we're going to eat sugar, over whether we're going to drink alcohol. It just wants fucking peace and quiet. If we if we had to debate every single step, we would go insane. So it needs to create <laughs> paradigms and rules to direct us. And those rules are sacrosanct. So for me to deal with that client and he's like, yeah, I'm against a vegan movement. I eat meat healthily. Burns will say, you need to deal with that resistance first. And the way to deal with that resistance is to become the voice of resistance. It's to almost say, yeah, wow, you're against a vegan movement? Yeah. Oh, tell me more. Like, why are you against them? Well, they're a bunch of fucking namby pamby woo woo fucking so and so's. Yeah, I imagine some of them are, right? Um, why do you think veganism's like really bad? Well, they don't eat enough protein. I used to be a vegan. Like, I even now, I, I don't call myself a vegan, but I, I don't eat meat. But I imagine I don't get as much protein as you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I can eat meat healthily. Yeah, I bet you can. I bet you can buy a cow, look after it, love it, kiss it every day, kill it. And yeah, I bet you can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Right. You have to become the voice of resistance. How does that work in alcohol, for example? And this is very difficult. And Stella's been around a long time in this. This is one of the most uncomfortable assignments that we go through, especially when it's one-to-one. -one. It's like, why do you drink alcohol? What value do you see in drinking alcohol? I don't see no value in drinking alcohol. Well, you must do because you drink alcohol. So let's think a little bit deeper. Why? I know you really have this part of you that, that doesn't like alcohol. I get that. But what do you really like about it? What value does it serve? Then the person will say, well, when I go out socially with my friends and they're all drinking, I feel really uncomfortable. And then if I drink alcohol, it makes me feel less uncomfortable. I don't feel like I'm the odd one out. It stops me thinking about the difference. I don't have to explain to anybody. Right. Now, just take that one point. Usually there's 10, and I can help them get to 20 other reasons, but just on that one point. To become the voice of resistance, it's like, yeah, I can see that. It must be really difficult to go out with a group of people who are drinking. No wonder you drink to join in with them. I can see the value that gives you in that moment. I can see it completely, 100%. Now, what are we going to do about it? Can you see that versus, no, hey, say my client's Juliet. No, 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 Juliet. You got it all wrong, right? You're not really enjoying yourself with them. You're just blocking yourself off. You've got to stop thinking short term. You've got to think long term. What's going to happen to Juliet if I take that approach? Her defenses are going to come out and she's like a phalanx, like a hedgehog, get away from me. And she's going to defend and blame and have justification. And I'm actually going to push her further away from her goal. We do that to ourselves, right? So to be defeat resistance, become the voice resistance. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah, this is a problem. Yeah, this is an issue. Yeah, this does provide me with value. But what am I going to do about it? Because I still don't want to drink, right? So I hope that helps. And Burns separates resistance, as he sees it, into two different forms of resistance. The first form is outcome resistance. 
And you can see that I've got a loaf of bread there. What's the significance? Well, you know the old saying in the UK that um, it's uh, better than sliced bread. Like, you know, like the invention of sliced bread was like the greatest invention ever. You know, so it's like we think that alcohol is is better than sliced bread. That's the saying in the UK, right? It's like alcohol to many people is the panacea of utopia, the the hedonistic lifestyle. And then if you flip it around, the the best way to calm ourselves, to blank ourselves off, to turn ourselves off, right? So because we tell ourselves that alcohol is the best thing since sliced bread, what we do is that we assign too much value to it. How does that happen? Through the indoctrination of the belief system we at Strive call alcoholism. We've been programmed from birth to believe for a paradigm that alcohol is normal and pleasurable. And if you don't drink it, you're strange and you're weird and there's something wrong with you. In order for us to deal with that pressure, we accede, we give up, and we agree, and it becomes our reality. And then at some point in the future, we can defend our morality and our ethics around drinking a poison because our paradigm supports it. It tastes nice. It stops the voices in my head. It handles my emotion. It allows me to have sex with my husband. It makes me feel more comfortable and I have a better time when I'm out with the lads. It gives me courage. That becomes our reality. And that is very strong advocate when your parts who want to drink to keep you safe start wolfing off in your ear. That's a lot of power there. This is called outcome resistance. Whenever the outcome is so amazing, we will have resistance against it. So how do you think we can, well, actually, does anybody want to share an example of outcome resistance? You know, their own personal thing. And it might not be alcohol, it might be anything. Does anything come to anyone, like outcome resistance, how it applies to you? I'll start. I started eating sugar again, as you know, and I'm having a bit of fun with it at the moment. My outcome resistance when it comes to sugar is it just tastes so freaking good. Mm. And because it tastes so freaking good, I don't want to stop eating it. That is my outcome resistance when it comes to sugar, right, as an example. So what about you, Liz? What's an example of outcome resistance for you? At the minute, I'm drinking quite a lot of coffee, probably only because somebody gave me a coffee machine. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been going crazy buying all these different kind of pods. <laughs> oh, you got an you got an espresso. Yeah. Okay. So how does that? How does drinking the coffee make you feel? Good. It just tastes really, really good. So I just like really look forward to to making it and drinking it. Right. And if we took it yeah, away from you, how would you feel? I probably get used to it. I'm trying to cut it down actually because I've been going a bit. A bit crazy with it, but um, I look forward to to the morning um, because I, I like a, a nice cup of coffee. And then last week I did get really sick of it and I did stay off for a couple of days because I just went, I drank too much because I was just drinking 
making too much coffee. I was just having fun with the machine, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're, I get it. I'm, I, my sister-in-law has a Nespresso, and every yeah. time I go over there, I make myself, I, I actually look forward to going over there in my head. I know I'm going to have a Nespresso, right? Yeah. Can everyone see how if she, if we try to not drink Nespresso, the outcome resistance will try to stop us? Can everyone see that? Yeah. Okay. So, Liz, you don't have to do this, obviously, but let's mm-hmm. just do a thought experiment. If you was going to stop drinking coffee, yeah, knowing that outcome resistance is a part of that, how would you go about doing it? What do you think you would need to do? <laughs> I would probably cut it down and then. Probably cut it down, yeah. Cut my coffee down and then, like, um, replace it with something else. But, but still drink coffee, but not as much. Okay. The important thing that I get out. What does anyone want to comment on? What uh, Liz just said. What what jumps out? Anything jump out in what she just said? Uh, yeah, just just for me, I, I find that um, that didn't help with you know, quitting alcohol, cutting cutting back alcohol. Uh, didn't stop me from drinking alcohol. It probably made it worse. I. I'd bounce mm. back even harder, so cutting it back didn't work for me. Right, um, because the out because the outcome resistance is still there, right? Because I still you still crave drinking alcohol. There's still there's still a need and a desire and a value in it. So the by what the, the key thing I think that jumped out there, Liz, was um, I would replace it with something else. Well, not re- not completely replace it, but I'd probably I'd probably put in more green tea. Right. But think about this. Imagine you had to quit coffee full stop. Yeah. How would you feel in the, it's straight away. Like if you stopped drinking coffee today and you woke up tomorrow, how would you feel? Honestly, I would be okay. You you wouldn't feel a little bit like lost, a little bit like, ah, man, I would, I want to drink my coffee. I probably would, but I probably could do it and put green tea in its place because I used to drink green tea as much as what I'm drinking coffee. Right. So. I don't know whether it's just something different. I'm having a bit of difference with and because it is coffee, I don't know. What you're saying here is a really good strategy for overcoming outcome resistance, right? We're Mm -hmm. replacing it with something else. So. Yeah. We get stuck into these ritualizations. So me going to my sister-in-law's house and she has an espresso mm. machine, it becomes a yeah. ritual for her to say to me, yeah. lead you on a coffee, and it provides yeah. me with some value. Yeah. So in order for me to appease the part of me that wants that value, I need to replace it with something else equally or more valuable. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, but you could you not make that like a treat? It's like going to your sister's head would, would be like a treat that you could look forward to. That it depends on the individual's reaction mm. and dependence on the thing. Um, so yeah. with coffee, no problem, mm-hmm. right? No problem, right? Because I don't have a coffee thing. Yeah. Alcohol or sugar. I couldn't have that as a treat. Yeah. I know now with my little experiment with sugar that having sugar as a treat is problematic to me because yeah. I want more and more of it and I get in that fight that I don't want, which is the reason I stopped drinking alcohol. So it will be very mm-hmm. person dependent, right? This is why this is why we can't say, hey, 
nobody can stop, nobody can moderate drinking. Of course they can, right? At yeah. some point, you might be able to do that. For me, I don't think so. I, I, I don't I think, I don't mm. think so, right? That's just me. I don't want to yeah. try. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to go there, right? So first and foremost, we replace it with something with the same amount of value or more value. What else could we do, do you think, to negate outcome resistance? Cut it down. What about paradigm? Think paradigms. Think about it. Outcome resistance is I fucking love drinking. Mm -hmm. That is my paradigm. So what's the opposite of that? I fucking hate drinking. You've got to change your mindset. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Juliet. Yeah. If outcome resistance is I love this thing so much, I value this thing so much, it is so great. And our story, think about the thought phase where we talk about change and sustained talk and language. I'm going to be so lonely if I don't drink it. No one's going to like me if I don't. I'm not going to be able to deal with life, et cetera, et cetera. All of this contributes to the mm. value of alcohol accentuating, which increases the outcome resistance. If we can somehow decrease that, that value, that paradigm, then the mm. outcome resistance disappears. So for me, and this isn't for everybody, for me, I used anger. I realized that alcohol controlled me. And luckily for Lee, his inner child doesn't like to be controlled. And I used that to my advantage. And I created a boundary in with my anger. And I said, there's no fucking way that the alcohol industry and this society is going to play with me anymore. I am not going to be hoodwinked anymore. And I used that anger to create that boundary. And all of a sudden, I started to hate the stuff. And that eliminated my outcome resistance. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, that's not for everybody. I've had people on strike before say to me, I don't want to use anger in that way, Lee. Like, I don't want to use that. I want to look at it in a different way. There's loads of different ways that we can reduce outcome resistance. I'm just sharing my experience with you on how I did it, was I removed the value. I took it away so there was no outcome resistance anymore. Today, if you say to me, Lee, how do you think about alcohol? I'm like, I fucking hate it. It destroys. It's one of the most insidious drugs in the world that is so accepted by the institutions and the people who are supposed to keep us safe. And I don't like that. And it, allow, it allows me to not drink, you know? Mm -hmm. I am just interrupting this broadcast just to let you know that if you want to become a member of Strive, if you want to have access to every single Strive Live event that we've ever done and that we will ever do in the future, and have access to over 120 coaching videos, and have online meetings on a regular basis, and join a beautiful community that interacts online on Zoom and Marco Polo, then join the Strive family today. It is USD, $99 a month, and you can cancel at any time you want. And if you join, as long as you do the homework, if you feel that it is a bag of pants, I'll give you your money back. All right? So get over to www.1000daysober.com, sign up today, or email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com to ask some questions. All right? Anyway, back to the presentation on resistance. The other form of resistance is process resistance. Now, process resistance is Lee has a talk on resistance, but I can't be asked going to see it. Like, I want to stop drinking, but fuck, do I really want to show up at eight o'clock at night? Do I want to get up at five o'clock in the morning? I don't want to do that. 
that's process resistance. I kind of know what I want to do. I want to stop drinking. I don't want to do the work necessarily to get there. Does that make sense? Now, this goes deep. Can, can, again, just throw it out there to you. Can you think of examples of process resistance? Adrian? Yeah, just, um, just thinking about it uh, now, uh, I've, um, I've been a bit slack with doing my, um, my work in the ready phase um, because, you know, I've come off two weeks annual leave. Um, I got a lot done. Um, I got out of my routine um, and now I'm back at work. So, you know, I just uh, I, I, I found that as an excuse. So I just get back into the swing of things, blah, blah, blah. And, and the, 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 the process of um, me doing an hour each day um, on uh, on the stride method, I was pushing that back and back and back, which was mm. for me the process of uh, learning more about uh, alcohol and, and my problem with it. Mm. So yeah, I like so, that. I like that. So I'm mm. quite conscious thank about that. And and thank you for sharing that. Like I really appreciate your honesty in that. Anybody else, Juliet? Do you have an example of process resistance? Um, yeah, I mean, I did just so- share something in the chat along those lines, and I suppose it's um, a, I don't know the combination of outcome resistance being, you know, ultimately having to look at yourself and um, you know find out the stuff you don't really want to know and and sort of self worth and stuff like that. But then with process resistance, it's all the effort it's going to take to get there. I would actually say what you just said then about doing the work to know yourself is process resistance. If we think about the whole incident that just happened on Marco Polo that shook our family to its core foundations because it 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 happened and we were like, fuck, this doesn't happen, right? If we were to leave, if we were to say, I'm not dealing with this, I'm going to leave, that could be, could be a form of process resistance. Right. Does that make sense? If 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 yeah. the part of us, the firefighter within us that wants to drink to keep us safe, could take that as an opportunity to not do the work to process what the fuck just happened. So I'm gonna leave. It could be, right? I'm not saying it is, because we we've got to obviously learn our own discernment around our own individual journeys. But process resistance can be a more difficult one to catch. The client who I was just speaking to before we come on here, for example, process resistance for him is having a conversation with his friends at a real deep, vulnerable level. Now, there are layers to this. So I I said to him, do you have a problem telling your mates you don't want to drink? Nah, I don't have that problem. So, okay, he doesn't have process resistance. So I said, okay, let's do a role play. I'll be your mate. And you be you. So then I started to push him on. So he's saying to me, he doesn't want to drink. I'm trying to get him to drink, right? We did the role play. And I said to him, Fred, making the name up, right? Fred, when it comes to being someone that doesn't drink alcohol, it's an energy thing. You walk into that restaurant or party or room with your friends and your energy and how you put yourself off is so important. These people who are part of alcoholism, who are subjugated by the invisible, violent, and dominant belief system, who believe wholeheartedly that drinking alcohol is normal and pleasurable, these people cannot allow you 
to create any chink in that armor. There cannot be no cognitive dissonance whatsoever. So one defense mechanism from people who are locked in alcoholism, one defense mechanism is to shame you, to ridicule you, to make what you're doing absurd. Now, if you go into that, that moment and you're unsure about why you're doing what you're doing, you're a little bit ashamed yourself, you're a little bit unsure, they will sense that weakness at a subconscious level and they will take the piss. I said to him, what did your friend say when you told him he didn't want to drink? He said to me, you're a fucking pussy. You've always been like this since you was a kid, which taps right into his inner child wound of when he used to be picked on as a child, which activates the part within him that protects that child. And that part protects him by drinking. Does everyone get that? So I said to him, let's reverse the roles. I will be you. You be your friend. And I, I cut a very long story short. I went very deep on vulnerability. I was like, Stella, I've known you for 18 years. I love you. You're one of my deepest friends. And I want you to know that right now I am struggling so bad. Alcohol, I've realized, is preventing me from really looking at a lot of stuff that is really impacting on my relationship with me, my wife, and even you. I need to stop so I can do the work, but I'm struggling so fucking much. And when you call me a pussy, and I know you don't mean it, brother, it fucking hurts. And I feel so much shame. And I just want to drink to quieten those voices. I feel like a little kid, like I've done something wrong. And I love you. And if you could support me, please, please, please know that I wouldn't be asking you if this wasn't important. Please don't ridicule me or take the piss out of me when I open up to you like I am doing about this challenge. It is fucking serious for me. And I need you by my side. I don't want you to stop drinking, but don't ridicule me. Support me. And he just went, I can't do that. That is process resistance. And he would never have noticed it because he thinks his paradigm is, I have got no problem. I can tell my mates. Process resistance is stopping him from really telling his mates. Do you get the difference? It's allowing him the, the get out of jail free card to drink. If mm -hmm. he goes vulnerable, he can't drink because he knows they'll support him. Yeah. But the part of him wants to drink, doesn't want him to be vulnerable. So that part says, I got this. <laughs> and he goes in there half-heartedly and they invade his energy and they take over him. And within seconds, he's that little boy again. And he just gives up and he drinks, right? Mm -hmm. Super nuanced, super powerful, takes a lot of time to kind of get this stuff while, you know, and that is why it's really important to, like, if I was going through this again, like I would be going to the group going, Hey, I really wanted to drink the other day. Does anybody, is this outcome resistance? Is this process resistance? Like, what do you think, folks? Anybody who's done that assignment, what do you think? That's the conversations I would be having in your trio groups with people you've built up relationships with on the main group. Like, if you said that on the main group, I'm going to pick up on that and I'll be like, okay, this is how I can give you some advice on that, you know? So I hope that helps to like use that as an example. And there are eight forms of resistance. Obviously, there's, um, there's only four, 
But this outcome resistance and process resistance, so four times two is eight, right? You get, you, Burns confused me on that. So we have depression, anxiety, relationship, conflict, and habits and addiction. So David Burns is saying when it comes to depression, we will have outcome resistance and process resistance that allows us to remain depressed, that allows us to remain anxious, that allows us to remain in relationship conflicts and allows us to remain a user of our addictions or embroiled in our habits as compensatory strategies. And all of them combine to lead you drinking. If you continue to be depressed, if you continue to be anxious and you can't handle your anxiety, if you continue to be in conflict, you're likely going to drink because that is your compensative strategy. So understanding how resistance shows up doesn't stop when you stop drinking. You know, I can't emphasize this enough. I was still a twat when I stopped drinking. I was still a shitty husband. I was still a shitty father because these forms of resistance were still showing up in these areas of my life, namely relationship conflict, right? And anxiety. So always be mindful of that. Now, this is the part that I left out of the original teachings and guidance that I've been giving people on resistance. And in the evolution phase of the Strive Method, we cover this. We do a whole week on internal family systems. And Adrian, who has worked with me um, in a one-to-one capacity, knows the work that we do around internal family systems and the power um, that it can um, lead into your life, right? i give you a nutshell version on Schwartz's um, idea around this. Schwartz believes that within each human being, we have a self, this young, beautiful, creative, amazing part of us, our true self, our soul, our essence. And then we have an ego, which is being created to protect the self from the world and our parents and our friends and our school. But that ego is fractured. It's not one entity. It's like it's number of different parts, an inner critic, a judge, a show-off, a princess, and on and on and on, right? Schwartz believes that most of society lives in his mono-mind. I am Lee Davy, the mono-mind principle. Um, and he teaches that that's not true, that we're all a little bit schizophrenic. That is what it means to be human, okay? Now, most of these parts are younger versions of ourselves trapped in a trauma loop. And he says there are no bad parts, that all our parts, their role is to keep us safe. Okay. So there is a part of us that wants to drink alcohol, but it only wants to drink alcohol to keep us safe. This is an important distinction in this work because when I was guiding Stella around resistance, the way I did it was like, Stella, we got to get our sword and our shield and we got to go to war with resistance and we got to beat resistance. That was the way I was teaching people. Now I realize that resistance shows up in parts of us and we do not want to go to war with them. We want to love them, to witness them, to experience them and to understand why they're doing what they're doing to keep us safe, to ask if they want to be unburdened from that responsibility and to ask them, what do you want to do now you don't have that responsibility? And to start to learn to learn to look at ourself 
as an internal family system. And we all know with our own family that the best way to live happily ever after is to get everybody to work in a more symbiotic way, right? To, to have win-win situations so everybody can get on with everybody, right? Like if, if my mom is always fucking annoying me and Liza is always annoying me and Z is annoying, what's a win-win so I don't get so annoyed, right? Well, I might need some time on myself. Well, thank you. Can I have that? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm just going to go out and, and have some time on my own. I'm not going to feel ashamed about that. It's the same with our, in, our internal family systems, right? And here are the different parts. So like I said, at the core of us is the self, all right? Dr. Schwartz talks about the eight Cs. So when we're at our most compassionate, calm, curious, connected, confident, courageous, creative, and clear, we're operating from self. Think about the work we do on the line. When we're operating above the line, we are operating from self. When we're operating below the line, we are operating from our parts. Does that make sense? Above the line, we always spoke about consciousness and presence, and below the line, drama. When we're conscious and present, we're self-led. When we're below the line and we're in drama, we are being part-led. Parts take two forms. Again, we're not going to go into this in too great detail, but parts take two forms. We have exiles. The exiles are younger, wounded versions of us that carry burdens of painful memories and trauma. And they are called exiles because other more dominant parts of exiled them into the darker shadow parts of our psyche. So we don't even we don't even recognize them. We don't allow them to have a voice. And this is where when we start to spend more time above the line, we feel that cognitive dissonance, that that sadness, that pull, that that desperation, that that fuck what's going on. It's because the exile is starting to get more cover. It's, it's, it's starting to be allowed out of the coffin more. Who's putting the exile in the coffin? Manager parts, protector parts, and firefighters. Protector parts are all about the long term, right? So your inner critic and your judge, they are. Adrian, what is one of your protector parts called? Uh, yeah, uh, Spanky. Spanky. Breaker. Yeah. And what, what's, what is Spanky or Breaker's role? Uh, yeah, he protects me from making uh, poor decisions or what he thinks are poor decisions, uh, basically on the long term. Yeah. So Spanky comes up when exiled versions of Adrian want airtime. Spanky t- comes along and says, no, 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 no. Pe- people are not going to like you, exile. They're not going to like you. If we don't drink, we're going to be boring and you, you don't want us to drink. Go away. We need to drink so people don't find us boring, otherwise they'll leave us alone. That's Spanky's role. So managers protect the parts are all about protecting us from the exile longer term. Firefighters are the ones that kick in in the moment. I am distressed right now. The firefighter will come along to protect you in that moment. Fuck, I need a drink right now. That's the firefighter. I need to inject right now. I need to watch porn right now. I need to gamble right now. I need to. Do whatever it is right now, that's your firefighter. So very often when we're drinking, it's a firefighter part of us. 
that is in that moment using alcohol. And here's a really important point to keep us safe, right? To keep us safe. Think about the guy I just spoke to of my client before when he goes into the bar and everyone's going to call him a pussy. The firefighter who drinks is keeping him safe because if he drinks, they won't call him a pussy. Does that make sense? But if he allows is if he goes in there, the, the way for him to go in there is to have done the work with me. So the exile and the firefighter know each other and the firefighter trust the exile and trust true self that when we go in there and someone calls us a pussy, that we got it, that we can handle it, that we're not going to feel pain, that we're not going to feel ashamed, that we're not going to go into self-loathing. The firefighter is protecting us from that. So there needs to be a relationship over time that takes place between self and these protector parts and the exiles and the protector parts. Also, there's a lot of emotion in the exiles and the protector parts that has never been released. So often, in order for them to unburden, they need to scream, they need to shout, they need to cry, they need to collapse. And when you're doing that, it helps to do that when somebody is holding you, right? When somebody is holding you. And I do this work with people, but you can pick up IFS trained therapists for 150 bucks a session, right? So really seriously consider doing this work. It's life-changing, all right? So the way forward, to be someone who doesn't drink alcohol, and who moves through upper limits to greater places of consciousness. Because what I'm trying to create here at Strive, this is not a place to quit alcohol. This is a place for you to grow and grow and grow and grow, right? I want Adrian, Juliet, Liz, and Stella to be with me 20 years from now, dealing with an upper limit problem that is preventing them from getting even higher into a state of consciousness and well-being and service for the world. I don't want to help you quit alcohol and then you leave and then you just become a miserable bastard who doesn't drink alcohol. That's not what I want to do for people. And I just want to stress, I stopped drinking and to save my marriage. It didn't save it. She left me. And then I got into a new relationship with someone who hardly ever drinks and she nearly left me. Because I was part-led, I was a boy in a man's body for many, many years who didn't drink alcohol. I thought because I'd stopped drinking, that I fucking knew it all. And some of you who've been with me a long time, Stella in particular, would have been tinged and met that energy. Stella knows my boy. Stella knows when I'm parts driven. Stella knows when my when I'm leaning heavily towards toxic narcissism. She knows that about me because she's been through that with me, right? So I want to build strife. So we're continually working on these things all the time. And when we do allow our parts to run awry, that we have a community that we can go to that is like, oh, that's all right. We see you. We see you in your, we see your lovely parts, your lovely little boy, your lovely little girl screaming for attention. We see you. And if you need some help, giving them some love, we're here for you, right? And I think that's why with the, with the Stacey thing earlier this week, it was such a shock because we were like, oh, this isn't safe, right? Right? This isn't safe. What's going on here, right? So 
I want us to get to greater levels of consciousness and love and success. And to do that, we need to get past resistance. We need to get past process resistance and we need to get past outcome resistance. But unlike the video game, we're not going to fight our way through it. We can't do that. We need to learn to recognize what part is showing up, why it is resistant, to allow it to be resistant and to be seen in its resistance and to be understood and for you to have a conversation with it like you would with anyone you love. Does that make sense? Like, oh, you want to drink right now? You, you're resistant towards just being sober? Who is that part of you? Who is it? Come here. Let me talk to you. Right? That's the work. That's the work to get into that constant work. So a good example is in the firefighter's case, we don't get angry with a firefighter. We don't loathe the firefighter. We don't hate the firefighter because that's why it exists in the first place. It exists because people out there or we created the story. So perception or reality, it doesn't really matter, was they don't like us. They think there's something wrong with us. So we can't create that within ourselves. That's the change we need to make. And this is, I think, what when people say we need to learn to love ourselves, this is what they're talking about. All parts of ourselves, right? We need to work with the firefighter and the exile so we can find a better way of dealing with our shit and our angst and whatever without using alcohol as a compensatory strategy. You know, resistance is keeping us safe. It's not our enemy. And that's the biggest change, I think, and why it was so important for me to, to do this, this video compared to when me and Stella were talking about it in the past. And here's the thing, me and Stella and a big quarter strive managed to stop drinking alcohol by making resistance the enemy. We did. But how did that then impact us in other areas of our lives? Uh, I don't, we don't know, right? For me, a more softer, gentler, more human way of dealing with this is to look at resistance from a place of love, right? You know, and the example that I give is Stan goes, he's going to a wedding and he doesn't want to drink. And when he gets there, he sees all of his old friends and he's suddenly confronted with a welcoming glass of champagne. We've all been there, right? You get that toast as soon as you walk in. He takes it and he drinks it. And then he drinks for the rest of the day. You know, given everything that we said, what would your advice be to Stan? Like, how would you, what's going on there? I'll pick on you, Aid. Just on you. I just, um, yeah, so for me, I would find another way around, another um, thing to replace it with. Um, you know, I would find something else to be drinking. So, uh, yeah, um, because the, the outcome is what I'm after, and the outcome is that I drive home at the end of the day and not, uh, not get carried home by a taxi. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would, I would work to a, a different solution to the, that problem, that outcome. And that I have a car is a strategy to help self. So it's, it's like a strategy. It's like if you're, if you have a real moral line that says, I will never drink and drive, then that is a good strategy in that moment, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm not driving, but, but this guy is, he's in there straight away. And it's there in his face. So he's built himself up. He's like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. He goes in there and whack. It's right in your face. You don't have your car. Can you see how challenging this can be? Yeah, I've got um, I've got my daughter's wedding coming up on the 5th of December. 
Mm. And um, this is this is going to be like the first time I'm going to be in a bar or a, you know anywhere that sells alcohol. Right. I haven't I haven't been anywhere like any pubs. Or, I've been out to dinner a couple of times, but that's about it. But like it's going to be like there's going to be lots and lots of people, and so I'm I'm not I'm I'm a bit kind of I know I'm not going to drink, but I'm just a bit kind of. Thinking, oh my God, there's going to be all these drunken people round about me. <laughs> yeah, mm. and you, you're not going to drink. No, no, Why? I can't. I can't. But I, know, I just don't. I don't want to because I've came this far. Is you know, it's like I, I've got a new life going on. <laughs> right. And I was talking to myself today and saying, like, I was actually sort of saying to myself, you know, what would it be like if I did have one? And then I thought, and then there was half another half of me saying. You can't do that because you know that one is just going to take you down the path. Okay, so like that, right. I'm just I'm telling myself there's no way there's not a chance you can get away with one ever again. So let's pause you there, okay? So a couple of observations mm-hmm. there. One, yeah. again, working on the change sustained talk, it would it would really help if when I say, um, why are you not going to drink? It would really help to get into the practice of why well, don't drink. What a fucking stupid yeah. question to ask me, right? <laughs> would you ask? Would you ask? Would you ask me why I'm not taking heroin? Because that use of that language will really yeah. help change it up here, right? So that's one thing. Yeah, yeah. Second thing, the fact that you had that conversation internally around well, what would happen if you had one drink? No, that is a part that needs your attention. Mm. Okay, yeah. so. I invite you at some point to have a meditation, tap into your true self first, and then from your true self, welcome this other part to have its voice and just say, hey, what are you worried about at this wedding? Mm. And just have a conversation with it and see what comes up. I know what I'm worried about. I just, I don't like crowds of people. It it freaks me out. Right. I, I've always, yeah, I just feel like like I'm suffocating and there's tons of people around about me. So, so yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. So this is, this is this is great because then that mm. now you've gone one layer closer yeah. to root cause, right? Yeah. Think about it. So imagine if you had no problem being around lots of people. Yeah. Now we've cured that problem, so yeah. it becomes again okay. What part of me is really uncomfortable around lots of people mm. and having those conversations? Mm. And then that will lead to something else, to something else, to something else until eventually, like imagine, let's just make this really simple. Imagine you had a conversation with your part or a therapist had a conversation with that part and did mm. the work where suddenly you were not worried about being in and around lots of people then all of a sudden going to the wedding takes on a different different experience, right? A different possibility. Mm. But I think the key thing is what we're talking about here is preparing ourselves for an event. Like we know mm. it's happening. So let's prepare mm. ourselves for it versus let's just fucking show up and, and, and hope, right? Because yeah. I think that could be process resistance, right? Can people mm. see that? Like, if I don't do the work ahead of the time and I just tell myself I'm going to be okay, it could be a yeah. form of process resistance. Anybody else got anything to say about Stanny 
or um, Liz's situation with the wedding? Of course. Stella, you have your hand up. I do. The wedding, I had Layla's wedding. Um, I drank at the time. I wasn't a non-drinker then. And it just so happened that I was really poorly, so I didn't drink very much. And when it came to the next morning, I was so pleased that I didn't get this drink. Now, looking back, and the parties that I've been to, and the very first party I went to, I rang ahead and I asked the the bar people who were managing the bar if they would mind holding um, a Norseco behind the bar. So I took a bottle and gave it to him and said, you know, I will pay for the corkage because obviously he's not going to make any money out of me because the only thing they have is Coca-Cola and tonic water behind the bar. And that's not why I want to drink at this party. Mm. And then the resistance came up because then right at the last minute, half an hour before Alan decided not to go. And this isn't my home, as you well know. And this party was for a local Mm. lady. And Mm. I had Strive. We were only on WhatsApp at that time. Mm. And um, I got halfway there and burst into tears, went back to my car, talked to everyone on Strive. They, they said, go in and see how you get on. And if it's no good, keep keep talking to us. So I did that and had them as my backup. Jumping right on from that party, I did it with tears and the help of the strivers. And then the next one, I thought, do you know what? You can actually take all of your things and plan first and ahead of time. Be the first one in there if it's a really big wedding like Layla's again, mm-hmm. I would actually have my own little bar for people mm-hmm. who don't drink because it is never, it's never done. And now we've got so many of these beautiful drinks out there that should really just be called drinks and not be called mm-hmm. alcohol-free drinks mm-hmm. because... <laughs> That's telling you then that it is an alcohol drink, but they just removed the alcohol. So I, I upended mine and say, well, these are just drinks. These are just drinks for people who don't want to drink alcohol. Because sometimes when you're saying that they're alcohol-free drinks, some people get triggered by that because then they're feeling that they're just replacing the alcohol-free with the alcohol, with the alcohol anyway. So that's what I. That's how I did it in the really early days. So I planned ahead, made sure that I had something to have in my hand, and um, I I got actually approached, and people would say, "Oh, I thought you weren't drinking, Stella," and I go, "I'm not," and they and they say, "Oh, I thought you were having a prosecco," and I say, "No, this is no secco." Oh, and I say, "Why don't you try some?" <laughs> Give them a little sip of this stuff, you know, from my before covid and they were like wow that's really nice and i thought well yeah mm. i enjoy it now the crowd of people that was there and i was by myself because alan didn't come actually liz got too pissed to actually even notice me <laughs> so yes they do get pissed and yes that is a worry but actually <laughs> they don't give a shit <laughs> they don't actually see you hear you or feel you all they see is themselves in this drunken whatever they're in yeah. and you you will be the witness of these people <laughs> and they won't oh. even see. And the nicest thing of all is that whole day will be very special to you in a way that you've never had before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember it. Be it. Yeah. Proud. My, daughter, my daughter knows I'm not drinking. I told her 
So there's, you know, I couldn't, I, you know, I just wouldn't be drinking and that's it, you know. So I'm looking Lovely. forward to it. It's, just, it's probably just because it's, um, you know, it's the kind of first big sort of like sort of night out or whatever I've had um, since stopping booze. And, um, yeah, and mm. probably because I'm sort of like the mother of the bride and then she told me I've got to go up and light a candle, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> light a candle. That's so cute. Yeah. Look, if it helps... Um... Oh, you stride us back up. <laughs> yeah, well, Lee, don't do, you do remember, that. Do you, do you remember... Oh, God, please don't forget her name, Stella. Holly. Holly, the surf girl. No, nobody here will remember Holly. No. Well, Holly Liz... Once said to me when I was getting really worried, like yourself, about the crowd and stuff, she said to me, you know, like it can't be worried or scared when you don't drink. What if it's excitement? And because we're not drinking anymore, we didn't know what excitement was. Yeah. And actually, do you know what? She had a point. Yeah. She had a point. And I thought, okay, this excitement I'm experiencing and not scared. Yeah. 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 Look at it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Liz, I know for me, if if there was a wedding here this weekend in LA, for example, right? A part of me wouldn't want to go. A part of me feels really safe in my home with my Netflix, with my tea, with my bed. And a part of me doesn't want to go, right? It it's just Mm. it's just a part of me that just likes that comfort and and feel safer here, right? But what yeah. I've learned, I've learned to reassure this part that actually, even though we think we're going to hate it, nine times out of 10, when we go, we actually enjoy it. So I'm able to yeah. say to the part, hey, I know you're really nervous, but you know, remember last time we went, we actually had a good time. And then mm. I can have that conversation. I can write to it. That's the other thing you can do with parts. So if you, it's yeah. another good example is you can write as self with your right hand yeah. and you can write as your part with your, sorry, write as self with your dominant hand. So mm-hmm. if you're right-handed, be like, hey, why don't you want to go? And then you can write as your part with your non-dominant hand. Yeah. Or, or you can even shift seats. I do that sometimes. I'll be like, hey, why don't you want to go? <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really scared. What are you scared for? Now, I use this in my personal coaching when, when the client, when a part won't allow the other part to talk. So let's mm. say I was doing one-on-one coaching with Stella and we identified a part that didn't want us, or Liz, and we identified a part that didn't want to go to the wedding and we mm. tried to connect with that part another part will get in the way mm. and we'll start to answer for that part. And, and yeah. a way to deal with that is actually to say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get two chairs in and Liz, you're going to be true self and you're going to mm. speak to this part. And then that allows the other part to get out the way. There's something about the shifting of the chair that makes mm. it easier to access the part. So there's different mm-hmm. ways that you can do it. I would just um, go down the rabbit hole guys. Don't make, don't make strive mm-hmm. the panacea for life. Sure, we want to be, we want you to be here forever and ever, right? We do, and we want to be yeah. bringing these teachings with you. But don't, don't leave it. You know, like go down the internal family systems rabbit hole. 
And always, mm. I always love it when I have a client and um, they will be talking about something like this. And then the next time I see them, like they've gone down some YouTube rabbit hole and they're teaching me about what they've learned about it. Like, I love that. Like mm. this, that's like smashing through those upper limits, right? What, what you put in is, uh, is what you'll get out of it whilst balancing. Hey, today I don't want to do no homework. I don't want to fucking look at Marco Polo. <laughs> I just want to relax <laughs> with my cats, which is equally as important. Um, anyone have any questions at all before I sign off and let everybody go by the day? I love your hair, by the way, Stel. Oh, I've just, I've just put it up. <laughs> all right, looks like you've had it cut. It looks beautiful. Oh, thank you. Cut. Mm. It's an up style. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was about to You have to teach me really how to hot. do it. I have to show you how to. You have to teach me and Adrian how to do an up style. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Adrian was going to start growing his beard like our Bruce. Flick it round. I said to Bruce, can have hair. <laughs> do, me a, do, me, do me a favor. Do me a favor, gang. Over the next 24 hours, just let what we talked about sink in. And then just come on to Marco Polo and just talk about what came up, what came, if anything came up. Just share what you learned. There's people who weren't on here. Share what you learned, uh, any insights. Um, between now and tomorrow, for example, you're going to experience resistance. You will in some way or shape or form, right? Talk about it on Marco Polo and uh, be interesting to have that communication. Is that okay? Yep. Yeah. Right. Okay, you beautiful humans. I'm off. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Okay, you lovelies, I hope you found that really, really helpful. If you've got any questions on resistance, email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com, all right? If you want the PowerPoint slides, let me know and I'll send them to you. If you want to join Strive, our beautiful community, like I said, you'll get access to the Strive Method, which is over 120 coaching videos. You will get access to once a month with me teaching Strive Live. You will have access to meetings on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, headed by our Strive ambassadors from New Zealand, from the UK and from America. So there's a time for everybody to get on and you can join our community, which is uh, we use Marco Polo and um, we use Zoom to interact on a daily basis, like-minded people, talking about how to quit alcohol, talking about, yeah, I quit and how do I stay quit and what next, living a kick-ass life, right? If you want a piece of that, then head over to www.1000daysober.com and sign up. It's $99 a month. If you don't like it, you could just quit after a month. If you do your homework assignments and you just don't like it, I'll give you your money back. We also have Strive Support, okay? So if you've got uh, somebody who wants to support you on your journey, we look after them, give them their own private community, give them access to the Strive Method, and it's a wholly a separate um, experience that what you have, so it keeps your privacy, all right? So we have Strive support as well. And if you want the individual coaching experience and you want to work with me for three or six months or however long you want to, to help you through a variety of different issues, to go through the Strive Method together uh, and to do the inner child work, to do parts work, uh, to learn to handle your emotions better to deal with triggers then reach out to me at 1kdaysober at geoma.com and i'll make that happen last but not least if you really enjoyed this episode uh, and you're still listening to me now go and rate and review it at your local podcast player and tell somebody about it you could change somebody's life today much love everybody goodbye